Tēnā koutou nau mai piki mai ki te pūtahi, ko Kingi Gilbert tōku ingoa, he uri ahau no Tainui Taroa a me tokomaru waka. I'm here with my friend Tui Gilling. Tēnā koe Tui. Tēnā koe Kingi. Kia ora whanau, we're here with two activists focusing on racial inequality, climate change and social justice, Luke Wee-John and Lourdes Vano. Kia ora Luke, no he koe. Kia ora matua, um, no te rarawa, rawa ko tūhoi ahau. Oh, kia ora, and Lourdes, um, no he koe. Kia ora matua, um, nga tika hanungu ki te wairawa, Samoa, Kukiarani and Tahiri. Oh, tēnā kōrua. My new name is Matua, everybody. <laughs> okay. Better than Koro. Yeah, better than Koro. <laughs> kana oh, kia ora. Hey, you guys have actually been the Tuakana lately, particularly on climate change. You've come out strong and you've had a position. Uh, we've been really impressed with the way you've stood up and, and, you know, wanting to be heard. What is your, I guess, when you've been around there, have you encountered people that have denied climate change and what has your corridor been with them? Mm. Mainly online uh, is where you'll find the climate deniers, but sometimes we get some people in, um, in, in person as well. Had some very weird experiences. I guess often older, I've actually only ever bumped into older white um, men who are climate deniers. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to um, just not wanting to have to listen or appreciate the understanding of younger indigenous um, and often in the climate space, uh, wahine. And especially when it comes to like, people like Greta Thunberg, where it's also people with disabilities, it's just yeah. everything that they don't want to have to be listening to or acknowledge the knowledge of those people. So it just seems to trigger something in some of them. And I've had death threats put on my door. I've had, you know, all sorts of messages. It's just, yeah, it's 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 interesting how much it triggers something in them. What are you? What's your take, Lourdes? Yeah, I think for a lot of people, it's just a lot easier to be complacent and a lot easier to be ignorant. And I think that's the path that a lot of people take. And it is really frustrating because yes, our youth have been really strong, really headstrong on um, climate action, but it's going to need a lot of support from other generations. Mm. Um, we can't do all of this by ourselves it's going to take a collective effort mm. I, I i agree i think it definitely comes from fear and a lot of people too mm. that um when you understand just how bad uh we've let the climate and ecological crisis get and that and when you understand that it's going to take a complete upheaval of everything we consider normal now um i think that just makes people scared and it's easier to just pretend it's not happening or not look at it Kilda, and what do you think the government is responding appropriately to the climate change emergency? What's your facado? Yes and no. Yes and no. Um, we're making very baby steps, putting the first steps to get anything done. But uh, really, we've had 30 to 50 years of, as you said, denial um, that we even have a climate crisis. Um, and now we're seeing some um, awesome frameworks and some awesome ideas of what we can be doing, but really it's gonna take everyone acting much stronger and much faster. And personally, I believe it's gonna take a Labour Green government with a strong green uh, spine in there to get any real climate action. 
it's like we need change in two different spheres. One is our cultural, our social sphere, and I think we're, we're on to that. In the past year, now seven out of ten New Zealanders think that climate change is a personal threat to them. And we've made that cultural change, but what is lagging behind? Yes, we've made some amazing first steps, but what is lagging behind is our government, and we need to be pushing much harder from the inside so both spheres are working together and we can achieve meaningful change now when, when we can afford to before it's too late. I mean, you've seen the National Party uh, say that if they get in, they will reverse a lot of the um, gains we yeah. have made in government, a lot of the even small gains we've made, like we've banned offshore oil drilling and uh, offshore oil exploration. Um, and they said they're going to take that back. They want to bring all of that back. Even though in the last 10 years, we've found nothing. We've only wasted money and destroyed our pile. Yeah. Tēnā korua. Um, I was just wondering to ask you both um, a little bit about who your role models are. You mm. talked a little bit about Greta. I'm just wondering how, who inspired you to get into the space and why? Whenever I'm asked this question, my first answer, after like my parents and the adults that I'm surrounded by and my um, young life. Um, Tupac. Tupac is amazing. I look up to him so much and I give this answer every time. It's because he's always found a way to touch um, young black indigenous and people of colour youth in particular. And that's the sort of work I want to be doing. Like back then he was talking about police brutality and mental health and women's rights and to see someone with that bigger platform still speaking on those issues and gentrification um, as well as finding a way to reach out to our youth. That's the exact sort of work I want to be doing, not necessarily through music, but um, hopefully through politics and general outreach. I think, we're, I think we're so blessed in New Zealand to have such a huge history of um, activist leaders um, and the ones that come to mind for me who I've been privileged enough to have in my life, uh, people like Tame Iti, um, who's good tuhoi activist, tuhoi separatist, um, and learning from him and the stories that my parents would tell me as a kid even, and then being able to meet him um, through my activism and have chats and work alongside him has been amazing. But also um, some Pākehā thinkers like Sue Bradford um, and like Marilyn Waring, who have showed us that actually there are new ways we can think about the current economic model and that we can actually have a system that recognises the work of wahine, that recognises the value of everyone's time, not just the value of, you know, selling of selling of selling of just exploiting as efficiently as possible our uh, papatuanaku and our people. I was wondering if you could give our hokainga some tips that you think would be useful for them, useful for them when deciding about climate change issues in their community. We hear a lot about the effects of climate change like on marae, erosion, sedimentation, all those kinds of things. So what's your whakaura? Well, what practical tips could you give to them? I think that a lot of people get bogged down in personal changes because we're mm. often told that you need to go vegan, you need to be um, buying keep cups, you need to be doing all these personal mm. changes. And what it ends up making people think is that climate change is your fault because you're not doing all of this and all of that. And the reality is so much of our whānau and community um, can't afford to be making all those lifestyle changes, can't afford an electric car. Um, our culture has, we've got a rich culture of enjoying different meats and um, we can't be throwing all of that aside um, for this idea that we are at fault for climate change. The reality is that 
um, arrived at our shores was this idea of capitalism, of neoliberalism, that we mm. should be exploiting our whenua and our people as much as possible and individualizing uh, the problems, individualizing the profits to try and get, a, get ahead of everyone else. When actually I think we need to be working together and to say, what's one thing I can do to fight climate change? Like, yes, you could stop flying, you could go vegan, but if everyone did that, it would make not, it wouldn't, it would, it would make a difference, but it wouldn't fix the problem. Ultimately, I think the best thing we can all do to fight climate change is that having those cordial with each other and band together um, and then organize protests, speak to your leaders and basically show that we're not going to stand for the same status quo, that we're going to work together and we're going to fight against it. Yeah, and building off of that, I think there's one other thing you can do um, to fight climate change and that's enroll yourself and enroll others to vote. Because as an in an election year, I think this system is designed to cut out the very people that would vote out the powers that have ruined Papatuanuku and over and over again neglected the same group of people. And the more people we enroll to vote and enroll in the Māori um, electorate role if they're eligible, the more we can bridge that gap and connect those two communities and stop furthering that gap and bring the, the, everyone together for this election year. And mm. I think that's sending our voices right to the top is a massive privilege that we have here in New Zealand. And um, having all of that information accessible to people, what it means to vote, what our system actually looks like and how it functions, um, sharing that information with everyone is like, that's the best thing we can use to fight climate change, in my opinion. And Kyoku Fukaro, as Māori, we accept more so than other groups, the in interconnection of all of these issues we are facing today and that actually climate change is built on the base of wealth inequality, which is built on the base of racial inequality, and that by fighting all of these problems, we can um, create a better world in every way possible. So when we, you know, uh, create free public transport and lots of um, uh, rail and lots of um, free buses and faster routes, we're not just helping our whānau that can't afford a car, we're also helping the planet with the emissions. When we create uh, a whole bunch of state houses that are um, low emission, that are well insulated, we're not just helping our whānau stay healthy and safe, which helps our education system, helps our health system, as we've seen with this pandemic, and we're also fighting climate change. It's not so much that there are individual things that need to be done, but a whole system change um, just following up on that, I've heard quite a lot of, um, about being proactive about climate change and some of that is around our land use practices. Mm. Do you have any comment on that or if they needed to be changed? I'm thinking about our Māori landowners out there, for example. Okay, so there's, there's heaps of things we can be doing. Um, the issue is, uh, comes back again to the current system we're under and yep. basically if we've been given back or we've got a chunk of land, under this current system, there's only a few things we can do to make that land productive. Um, and that's often cows or it's trees. And there's other, there's lots of other things you can do, but those are the main money earners. Mm. Um, so then we're planting a whole bunch of pines, pulling the, new, the uh, fertility out of the ground, cutting them down too early and then planting more pines and just making that soil drier and drier. We've got cows and we're filling the land up with nitrate so that we can stuff more and more cows on top. Um, when actually, I think 
Um, we need to be appreciating our land for the other things it provides that maybe aren't monetary, such as um, our native bush alongside rivers can provide a clean stream for everyone below and that we can, it can provide recreation and the people that use that land um, to walk through it, to, to maybe mountain bike through it. Um, but more than that, more than just making us make decisions which are seen as financially bad, but good for in other ways, we've, if we're gonna stick under this current system, as a nation, we need to start rewarding those other things that provide other goods to society. I mean, what comes to mind for me is um, in Dunedin, there's this river that runs through the town and it floods just about every year and costs millions and millions in repairs and walls to build it higher. But actually, if we were just giving a lesson even that to the farmers up the stream, to the landowners up the stream, for them to plant native bush alongside, that would do a lot of the work to slow that water down when it rains and trap it in the bush instead of just with grass soaking straight into the river and flooding the town. I think that the, we currently have too narrow an idea of what we can do to be productive on our land. Um, and not only do we as landowners, but also uh, we as a nation need to appreciate the different things that we can be doing on our land and the good that that provides. When people make comments about how people should use their land, I think it's more of a comment on the economic system and what we value as a society. It's not so much about the practices that we use because to be honest, a lot of people are given two really, really bad choices and they just have to choose the one that's the lesser evil, I guess you could say. And what we need to be doing is, like Luke said, reviewing what we value and reviewing what land actually is to us and what has always been to Tangata Whenua and re-evaluating ourselves, especially because this COVID-19 um, lockdown and sort of era has sort of given us the opportunity to completely look back at everything. Um, unfortunately, there are some people who haven't taken that opportunity to properly review what we stand for and what we value, not only as a society, but as individual people. So mm. I think um, keeping that discussion going, not letting it go is a really important um, thing we can all keep doing within our individual lives. Mm. But if we are looking for some specifics that we can do without with overthrowing the whole system just yet, um, then uh, things like using less um, artificial fertilizers and instead creating a diversity of um, plants on that mm. land um, can have similar effect without the damage to our rivers and to our kai and to um, the people that have to use that land 100 years from now. Over to you, Matua. Hey. I'm here. Hey, you know, the thing that I, when we think of Matua, we think generally as maybe being a little older, obviously. Ah, uh, yeah. But the way I see it is that rangatahi and younger people are learning at a much faster rate. Like, you know, how old are you fellas? Uh, 18. And so you've absorbed a huge amount of political theory, political history, uh, sustainability like these are big topics right um so i'm wondering do you have encounters with the matua generation or even a komatua generation and what what is their response to your messages about climate change and about change systems change dismantling old structures mm. do you have any feedback and how that feels for you going into these spaces i mean for me personally i feel like i see myself as not alone um, working as an activist in this time, but instead standing on the shoulders of all of the 
uh, uh, Tupuna that come before us um, and all of the work they have done to get us to where we are today. Um, and in that respect, there are so many kaumatua that we work with and talk with. I mean, just at the last um, Black Lives Matter protest, we were working alongside the Polynesian Panthers. And if you look back into the history books of everything they've achieved for us, it's insane. Um, and on top of that, when you talk about working with kaumatuas, um, generally, uh, there are lots of kaumatua are very happy with what we've, we're doing to achieve because they've seen how the country has changed in their whole lives and they want us to keep fighting that fight. Um, always with our activism, we uh, work together with the local iwi um, here in Auckland, that's often Ngāti Whātua, um, to make sure that everything we are doing is in line with what the kaumātua are happy with. I think what's happened is Rangatahi has stopped pandering to the older generations, particularly um, people like Winston Peters, and we have stopped trying to um, act a certain way to be listened to. We have taken a lot into our own hands and tried to bring the all down to our level. Well, not down to our level, but to a level that is welcoming to people who look like me and welcoming to Rangatahi as a whole. And um, like Luke said, we've gotten, when people recognise that we, we recognize and acknowledge that this is a continuity. This is not a brand new movement. We are, like you said, we're standing on the shoulders of giants when we do a lot of our work, most of our work, all of our work. So we get a lot of positive um, responses from Komatua and um, the older generations. And they always say how proud they are and how um, hopeful they are to see the younger generation continue this work. Um, particularly um, William from the Polynesian Panthers the other night, he said how rapt he was that he could see um, energy that he had himself in the younger generation. So I think we get a lot of um, courage and a lot of support from our kaumatua. And we're very, really, really thankful for that. I was curious as well about the desire to pursue a, a political position and, and seeing democracy and seeing MMP and joining a political party as a means to affecting change. How do you feel that as amongst others in your generation, your friends, do you feel they're politically motivated? Will there be a, a big swell of support coming into the election? What's your... I guess it's sort of hard to tell because... Luke and I, we live in quite our own little bubble sometimes. Mm -hmm. And our group of friends, they're all like very politically minded. And um, I like to think that we're quite, as a generation, we're quite politically minded and politically aware of what's going on. So hopefully there will be a massive influx. I know that's a massive, um, a massive goal for me and Luke to try and raise the, not only the voter turnout, but the youth voter turnout particularly in um, brown communities because we know they are the least likely to vote. And at the same time, if you vote when you're younger, you're more likely to vote as you get older and keep voting. So that's hopefully a difference that we can start making um, this election. Sometimes it feels like Luke and I are sort of the exception because we've, we've sort of taken that extra little step and decided to be candidates this year. But I think there's a lot of hope and a lot of potential in this generation especially if um, I've had a lot of people come up to me who are um, older than me even, as well as younger, who have gone, you guys give me so much hope um, that youth can actually do something and be heard and be listened to in the political sphere because it is full of jargon and language that I am still teaching myself and teaching myself about the actual functions of the system. So I think 
this is the very start of it and this will keep coming out of our generation and hopefully the generation after us will be even more more um, politically engaged than we are. Mm. Hey, Tautoko Ira Kōrero. Um, I think we're seeing a generation that has had more of a political awakening than ever before. Mm. Um, for our generation, that is. When you see things like the school strikes, when you see things like the Black Lives Matter movement, for a while, huge protest in this country died down. And now, just in these last three years since the last election, we've had another huge awakening, a political awakening, um, and especially younger people. I mean, the largest protest in New Zealand history was led was the September school strikes, um, where 170,000 people up and down the country um, protested. And me and Lordez were some of those organisers. Here in Tamaki Makoto, everyone that organised that was at school, was still, you know, 18 or younger. Um, so I'm hoping that we can help use that momentum to get people out voting and get people to continue to vote and think about you know, racial inequality, think about climate change when they are casting those votes. Because I feel like um, when speaking to people in our generation, there are a lot of especially Māori and Pacifica kids looking up and seeing the maybe the New Zealand First or the Labour Māori caucuses and wondering if they've actually been providing for us. Mm. And you see the silence of the Labour caucuses on things like the armed response teams, on things like ihumapa, water bottling, oranga tamariki, and the uplifting of kids. It's like maybe there's another way we can do it, and hopefully me and Lourdes can show um, kids in our generation, especially brown kids, that this is um, our time where we can be heard, where there can be more than just what we've been handed. The entire system is built around us not voting. Yeah. Of course, these large parties, that's national mainly, but also Labour, we can't forget Labour, are complicit in the system. If they get into power on low voter turnout, why would they want to increase that turnout if those people maybe are going to think somewhere else or demand more of them? And I think that a lot of people feel like they're just not political or that they're not going to vote because their vote won't make a change or anything. But actually, we don't have a choice. We are always political. If we decide to vote, we decide to empower those ideas. If we decide not to vote, we're saying that, you know, we're, we have the effect of propping up the power of those who are currently um, in those positions, who are currently leading our country. And those people aren't really listening to us. Those people don't really care about our issues if we're not out there demanding that they do. So how would you go about changing the electoral system? Ah, well, <laughs> how long do we have? Call it on my, call it on my. Well, me and Lourdes can just keep spitting um, different ideas out over top of each other and whatnot then. Um, I think the 5% rule is undemocratic. Um, mm. We could see a Māori party um, still around if we didn't have that 5% rule. Um, I think that we need to be having more Māori electorates. We own all, the whole of the, the South, South Island. The whole of the South Island it's is one electorate. We expect one poor MP to represent every How many Iwi are in the, the South, South Island? Island? That's, that's barely democracy. I think um, another way we need to fix our democracy is by increasing voter turnout. Um, compared to other countries, we have a pretty decent voter turnout, but looking at other countries, I don't think it's a good idea to compare ourselves it's to It's a low bar. 
it's a low bar to be better than yeah. other countries, to um, be honest. I think we need to be enrolling more people or just remove that barrier entirely and make it so that everyone is automatically enrolled. Mm. We need to be getting... We need, I think if we lower the voting age and we have kids at school learning about the... Civics system, education. Learning their civics education. Um, so then they just rock up to school like any other day, but they've been taught for their whole schooling about how our system works and about how voting works and how MMP works, because you'll be surprised how many adults even don't understand mm. how the mixed member uh, proportionate system works. They still think we're stuck in first past the post. Um, and if we can teach kids how to do it and then have them do it at school and the same place where they always go every week um, and then go home with their mates afterwards, it's like, I think we can increase the voter turnout for our generation and the generation under us hugely and then as Lourdes said earlier that the evidence is when people cast their first vote they will continue to vote for the rest of their life so we could have a wave of voter turnout and mm. then we have you know 90 to 100 percent of Maori voting 90 to 100 percent of Pacifica or of uh, disabled of gay of all these community groups that are currently not being heard that I think is when we're truly going to be able to change our system to be able to defeat problems such as poverty and climate change. And as well as that, there are so many Māori who don't even know that the Māori role exists, including people in my own family who have I, I have had to explain to them that they're on the general role, but there's also the Māori role. And having the opportunity for them to re-enroll um, if they've found out that they are eligible for a different role, um, as well as that civics education is so important. Everything that I know about um, the system, I've had to teach myself or ask, go out of my way to ask people. It's never come out of my school education. Um, and like Luke said, if we are being taught about this throughout our whole lives and we vote while we're still in school, then we can keep voting as we get older. And um, increasing democracy, well, we can start with when once you're incarcerated, you, your rights mm -hmm. to vote should not be taken away. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that the government has chosen um, people with under three years of a, of a prison sentence are allowed to vote. I just feel like that's not something we can toss up. That's not something up for negotiation. That is a human mm. right here in New Zealand mm. and mm. it should be everywhere, the right to vote. And even so, the, the incarceration, rate, incarceration rates of Māori and the conviction rates of Māori and the charge rates of Māori and the arrest rates of Māori mm. and the likelihood of Māori to be pulled over, the people going into the prison system have mm. been neglected again and again and again and again at every possible level to the fact that they are now in prison and on top of that, we are taking away a, taking away a human right. Mm -hmm. And then for them to then exit the incarceration system and then be like, oh, you can re-enroll. I have, if I had gone through that process myself, I have no reason to re-enroll into mm -hmm. the electoral commission. So I feel like increasing democracy is going to be a long, long, long process. Um, and it's a massive racial issue. But Luke, like Luke said before, all of these issues are completely connected and so it's going to take a lot of planning but once we get a higher voter turnout particularly from our rangatahi i'm hoping that we'll have all of those minds together and we can link up and properly solve all these problems mm. um before it's too late mm. what do you think about the digitization of voting systems the i was going to say preponderance of social media and how large, how, how deep its impacts are do you think we might see a form of e-governance, of e-democracy? 
You know, maybe in your lifetimes where we, we have a slightly different method of participating in our democratic systems and structures. Have you, what's your thoughts on technology and its impact and the movements that you're uh, behind and driving? Social media, voting mechanisms, any thoughts on that? Um, I think there's an interesting aspect to it, um, especially with Rangatahi leading a lot of these movements. Um, there's a whole other aspect to protest now. You can protest by reposting things, by um, sharing information online. Um, sometimes that can be used in, as an excuse, and a lot of people think that that's enough activism that they can do for the day, and that's sort of their quota filled. So there's a there's a plus side and there's a downside, but we've used it, um, and it's been a real positive for us because we are able to spread our kopapa and spread our thoughts on different um, different issues. In terms of voting, um, maybe this is just in the states, but it can it can be a little bit unreliable to vote online. Um, those are those are my thoughts. I haven't thought about it too hard, but I do like to think that we would keep um, our leaders and our politicians as human as possible, as human as a politician can be. Um, but yeah, I haven't actually given that too much thought. Luke, if you've got any pakaro. Hi, I think there's another side to it, um, which is the fact that the our our democracy, I think, is at is being threatened by some of these paid um, social media advertising. So we're still over in Australia where they're particularly at risk to it because everyone um, is, is forced to vote through their laws there, but um, not everyone is very informed. And then if you see 16 Facebook ads a day from the richest party, the right wing party that can say that the everyone else is evil and just vote for them, then people end up, um, based off of the back of lies, voting for mm. people that do not actually represent their own interests. Mm. Um, and I think we're going to be seeing more and more of that this election from the National mm. Party. We've already seen that there are not very many checks to their lying and that, you know, they'll put out a huge uh, ad that'll be in the front of everyone's face um, and it'll be wrong, it'll be false, it'll be straight up lies. And then maybe two or four weeks later, when it's finally been reported and then assessed and then deemed to be lies, that's, you know, page two yeah. and no one really sees that. But now everyone has seen the ad or, or worse still that ad, the newspaper repeats the ad as the thumbnail um, when they say that the ad has been deemed a lie. And we just see it continuing and continuing this um, almost the death of truth and the death of statistics and of um, any sort of uh, science or reality behind the claims people make. And it becomes almost Orwellian when you get people like the National Party um, criticizing the government for how many people are now on the dole, how many people are now homeless. And it's like as if they hadn't perpetuated this problem much worse for nine, more, for nine other years. And then now they're going to lie about what's mm. happened now. It's, I think, dangerous to our democracy. I think that's a very interesting link. And so we're seeing a link here, I think, where you're ex extrapolating the link between money and political influence. Mm. And I just feel it couldn't be any more present than in this corridor. So, tēnā kōrua. I think we need to be taking power away from money, away from mm. the wealthiest and give it back to the people that everyone's vote, everyone has the equal say. Um, whereas when our mm. democracies are paid for, um, 
and sold to the highest bidder, that's mm. when people start, to, the interests of the people get lost. Mm. And at yeah. that point, what's the point of the democracy? I think we need yeah. to allocate um, a, I, I think that um, the political parties have shown that they cannot regulate themselves, which is the current system. We give them complete power over everything. So they have to be the ones to regulate themselves. But I think what we need to do is bring it back to the people and just get a huge group of people that represent um, Aotearoa that as 50-50 um, Pākehā and Māori as Te Tiriti o Waitangi says, and then they can come up with some rules for our politicians that it's real people that make those rules because the politicians have shown that they can't do it themselves. Tēnā kōrua. Thank you so much for your kōrero. Really insightful. Very insightful. Almost should leave this noho and let you fellas run te putai. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should do that one week. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Really lovely to hear your voices and to elevate your views and to share with us coming from a very beautiful centered place, you know, I just feel that so strongly. It's just coming from Aroha and looking after our planet and our whānau and inclusiveness. I just wanted to acknowledge you too again. Kia ora, tēnā kōrua. Thank you, Tui. Tēnā koutou. That's been Te Pūtahi. Ka kite.